Well, there is a um, fraternity of pastors and churches in the Columbus area who encourage each other to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ central to our own lives and to the, the lives of our churches, and we're a part of that. It's called the Gospel Coalition, and they sponsor a conference every year. This year's conference was this weekend, and we hosted it right here at New Life Church with Dr. Paul Tripp. Back in uh, February and March when that was being planned, I thought, well, if Dr. Tripp's going to be here for a Friday night, Saturday conference, we ought to just grab him for the weekend. And so uh, he is here with us today. He is a, a wonderful man of God. He's an internationally known speaker and author. He's also a seminary professor and a pastor and a husband and a father. And uh, he's got a great word for us today. So would you welcome Dr. Paul Tripp? Well, it's a clear and present danger that somehow gets us all. You recognize it in other people, although you may not see it in yourself. Isn't that how it works? I'm, I'm much more able to see the sin, weakness, and failure of others than my own. What's up with that? But this, this danger does really hook all of us. It's, I have to say this, it's a problem for 10 out of 10 people in this room including this man. Hear what I'm about to say. This side of eternity, it's very hard to keep what God says is important, important in your heart. This side of eternity, it's very hard to keep what God says is important, important in your heart. Things that are not nearly as important as they become rise in levels of importance and they command my thoughts and they command my desires and they shape my life. This side of eternity, it's very hard to keep what God says is important, important in your life. On the weekend, I talked about the fact that I live in Philadelphia and, and uh, it's a habit of people who live in Philadelphia to take a vacation down at the Jersey Shore. We did that for years with our children, and now that they're all grown, they, they like occasionally for all of us to gather at the shore one more time and have one of those just totally nostalgic weeks. And one of the things I like to do, because I'm the cook in the family, is make for my children those meals that they love so much growing up. And the epicenter, high holy moment of that was on a certain moment, a morning, I would make the universe's best cinnamon rolls for my children. There's just no contest. And I was, I was thinking that this is what would happen. I would, I would get up early before everybody, I'd make those rolls, I'd put them in the oven, and then that glorious smell would be, begin to waft throughout the house. And my children would wake up to this and say, God must love us that he gave us this man as our father. For he blesses us with roles. Well, I'm now on that morning, I'm, I'm making these rolls. And I'm, I'm putting them in the oven and I'm sitting now in the kitchen waiting for the first human being to show up and say... I am so thankful that of all the dads in the world, you are my dad. Well, my oldest son shows up. 
And he says these words to me. Dad, is it okay if I make something else for breakfast? (laughs) Well, I want to say, no, no, it's not okay. But I don't say that. I said, well, sure, it's okay. Why? He says, well, my wife... doesn't like to eat something that sweet for breakfast. I'm thinking, who does she think she is? Interloper in our family. I'm Paul Cinnamon Roll Trip. You do not have the right to alter the menu. Now, I know somewhere in my brain, this is not supposed to bother me, but it does. It shouldn't really make any difference, but it does. We're now sitting at the table. She pisses herself right in the middle of the table. She's sitting right across from this glorious tray of God's blessing. (laughs) And she's eating scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs. Eggs. I notice every bite. I know I'm not supposed to notice. I think I can hear her chewing. And every bite irritates me. This side of eternity. It's very hard to keep what God says is important, important in your heart. This week... Something rose in levels of importance way beyond its true importance for you. Think about this. When you look back on a week and you say that was a good week, why would you say that? When you look back on a day and say what a great day that was, what made that a great day for you? What is important to you? When you're mad... Because something's gotten in your way. What, what makes you mad? What's important to you? When you say, if only I had, then I would be. What's your if only? What's important to you? When you look at somebody's life and you're a little bit envious, wishing that you could change personal stories with them, what is it that's important to you? This side of eternity, it's very hard to keep what God says is important, important in your life. A few years back, I was able to purchase the first car in my life that I've enjoyed. I didn't think I would ever drive an automobile that I enjoyed. The cars I enjoyed deepened my faith. The cars I owned deepened my faith. Because I would have to pray my way from point A to point B. I met God daily in my car. And so I was excited about this car. And this is, this is embarrassing to say because this is not supposed to happen. This car made me feel different. A car is not supposed to be the source of your identity in case you hadn't figured that out. And I'd be sitting at a light and a man would pull up next to me and he would look into my car. I knew exactly what he was thinking. He was thinking, I wish I was that man. I was, wish I was driving that car. Well, at Christmas, we invited our niece and nephew, Troy and April, 11 and 13, 
uh, to spend Christmas with us. They live in Florida, and we wanted them to experience a great northeastern Christmas. They were hoping to see snow. It was 62 degrees on Christmas Day, not much snow. <laughs> but we decided we would take them to all the Philadelphia Christmas sites and then go see the Christmas sites in New York City. So the day after Christmas, we got in my identity boat and uh, drove around the city of Philadelphia and saw all the Christmas sites. And you know, at the holidays, there's food everywhere. So we really ate our way around Philadelphia. At the end of the day, as an act of deep love for my family, I took them to Starbucks. That was actually for me. And Troy, who is 11 years old and had eaten with the best of us, ordered a big grande peppermint hot chocolate and a big brownie, which he consumed with glee. We got back in the car. Now Troy is sitting in the driver's or the passenger side front seat next to me. And in order to get from where we were to our house in Philadelphia, we had to drive on a road called Lincoln Drive. If I was telling this story in Philadelphia, people would begin to moan already because Lincoln Drive does this. It never stops doing this. Somewhere on Lincoln Drive, Troy Troy got very quiet and he said one fateful word, sick. And then what came out of Troy next could not be described. It came and it came and it came. I think I saw his body getting smaller. I'm thinking, jump out of the car or something. And then what I said next to Troy was just not true. I said, it's okay. (laughs) Oh, I'm not done yet. (laughs) I love you more than I do the car. We got home and we formed Troy's body into a cup, got him out of the car. Another niece helped me clean up the seat. I thought, it's okay, it's leather, it's not too absorbent. I woke up in the middle of the night with a shocking realization that it was a ventilated seat and had holes in it. This side of eternity, it is very hard to keep what God says as important, important in your heart. Now, God, in the glory of His patient, tender grace and love has done something very sweet for us. I don't know if you've thought about this, but he invites us to eavesdrop on eternity, to listen to the voices who are now on the other side, to listen to the voices of people who have completed their journey, who now look back on life with utter perfect clarity they're not confused anymore and as we listen to their voices we can get our values clarified once again how sweet is God's grace and so I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation 19 I don't know what you think of the book of Revelation uh, most people think that Revelation, the book of Revelation is given so I would understand what's going to happen then. Actually, the book of Revelation is in the Bible to help you in the here and now. This book is given for your struggle and my struggle in the here and now. And the scene we want to look at is this amazing scene of the marriage supper of the Lamb. The picture is of an arranged marriage. It's a picture of our union to Christ. A marriage that was 
arranged before the foundations of the world, consummated at the cross of Jesus Christ, now celebrated with this amazing feast in eternity. Follow as I read, beginning with verse 6 of Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true words of God. This is the most raucous, excited, exuberant worship in the history of worship. There's no holding this crowd back. Uh, it says that this worship at this feast is, is like the sound of mighty rushing rapids, like standing next to Niagara. It's so loud you can't hear yourself think. Or like the cracks of loud thunder. And in the middle of this raucous worship, the saints now on the other side sing this gorgeous hymn. And this hymn reflects, the words of this hymn reflects what's now important to these people as they now are able to look at life with utter clarity. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That hymn is meant to help you remember once again what's important. Here's the first thing. God's important. There is nothing more important to recognize in all of the universe than the existence, the character, and the plan of God. Now you, you say, well, Paul, this is kind of obvious. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I know that God's important. Hear this. Human beings were hardwired so that everything in our life would be directed. Everything in our life would be shaped. Everything in our life would be formed and motivated by this one thing, that there is a God who exists in the universe. Everything in my life was meant to be formed by a penetrating, sturdy, perseverant God awareness. So that you could say to me, why do you treat your wife the way you do? And I would say, God, why do you respond to the children, your children the way you do? I could say, God, why do you spend your leisure time the way you do? I could say, God, why do you spend the money the way that you do? I could say, God, why do you Look at the things you look at on your computer. I could say, God, God, that God awareness is what becomes the motivation for everything that I do. Think about it. Think about it. What's wrong in that moment on vacation in that kitchen? What's wrong is for me, there is no God in that moment. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I feel. And listen, there's a short step 
between God forgetfulness and you inserting yourself in his position. What's wrong with the way I think about my car? Because I'm attaching my identity to some inanimate thing rather than to the one who is my creator, my king, my Lord. There's no God in that moment. Listen, I don't think, I don't think many of us in this room are in danger of becoming atheists. Your theology probably isn't your biggest problem at this point. But many of us, on a given Tuesday, a given Wednesday, a given Thursday, suffer from a very dangerous God amnesia. And God isn't the reason we're thinking about ourselves the way we're thinking. God isn't the reason we're speaking the way we're speaking. God isn't the reason we're choosing what we're choosing. God isn't the reason we're doing what we're doing and saying what we're saying. Something else has risen to levels of importance and is taking His place. How dangerous is that? I would argue that the four most important words and all of the Bible are the first four words. In the beginning, God. Because if there is a God who does exist, who is Lord, creator, everything changes. And you could argue that every word that builds itself on those words only makes sense because of those first four words in the Bible. There is nothing more important than to remember in the center of everything is God. We're not talking at this moment about being spiritual. We're talking about what God designed for all human beings. Human beings were hardwired to live with God awareness. And if you're not living with God awareness, you are losing your humanity. A person who doesn't live with God awareness is a profoundly disadvantaged human being. Because life is only ever found in God. And life was only ever safe when it's directed by a worshipful, submissive, perseverant God-awareness. Needs to be said again and again, God's important, God's important, God's important, God's important. But listen to the words, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. God's reign is important. I don't know if you've thought about this or not. If you haven't, let me say you're a bit comatose. Uh, your life hasn't worked according to your plan. That shouldn't be a shock to you. Last month didn't work according to your plan. Last week didn't work according to your plan. From the look of some of you, this morning didn't work according to your plan. Yes, it's true. Uh, we're always greeted with mystery. I mean, isn't it true? You're always dealing with the unexpected. 
You're always dealing with things you wouldn't have planned for your life. There are, there are surprises around the corner. There are times when it just seems like life is completely out of control. Just give me a little bit of control. And if you don't understand and don't realize that God reigns, then what you actually want to do is get fuller, more complete control over the people and situations in your life so that somehow, some way, you can make life more livable and more predictable. The problem is that the people and situations in your life don't tend to find joy in submitting to your self-appointed sovereignty. They just don't. And so you can live in anxiety, you can live in fear, you can live in panic, you can live in doubt. Anybody here been anxious the last couple of weeks? Anybody here been a little bit fearful? God reigns. The Bible is very careful to say that this world is not out of control, that this world is in careful control. It is controlled by the one who is the ultimate definition of everything that's good and everything that's true and everything that's wise and everything that's faithful. This world is under order. And here's what that means. It means although I do not understand it all the time, my world is a safe place because my world is ruled by the ultimate definition of what is good. Does this excite me? (laughs) Right down to my toes. I love how Paul talks about this in Acts 17. Uh, he's waiting in Athens to make connection with other people. It's sort of a commuter's passage of Scripture. Uh, I live right in downtown Philadelphia. Lowell and I have a loft at the edge of Chinatown, and we're right at one of the East Coast big transportation centers. So I, I get this sort of commuter feel to this, people waiting to connect with other people to get on some kind of transportation. And as Paul's waiting, he's observing the philosophers there in Athens that they have this statue to this unknown God, and and. Paul has to get into the conversation, missionary that he is, and say, no, 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 this God is actually knowable. You can know this God because this God has revealed himself. And in the middle of that discussion, Paul says this awesome thing. He says, my translation, speaking of God, he determines the exact place where you will live and the exact length of your days. Now, here's what Paul is saying. It's not enough to say that God reigns, as if His reign is some general, abstract, nebulous thing. He's saying, don't you understand that reign is utterly concrete, individual, and specific. It's a personal reign. He literally determines for you your address. How amazing is that? He determines the exact length of your days. Now, Again, we need to think about this. Imagine for a moment the kind of awesome power I would have to have, the incredible authority I would have to possess to just determine the exact location of one person's life and the exact length of just one person's life. Imagine what awesome authority I would have to have to control all the relationships and all the situations and all the locations just to rule one life. 
And God does that with every human being who's ever lived. How glorious is he? But that's not enough to say. Paul says he determines the exact length of your days and the exact place where you live so that he is not far from each one of us so at any moment we can reach out and touch him. We often think of the sovereignty of God as one of his transcendent qualities. Get my language here. Paul is preaching the theology of imminent sovereignty. What does that mean? It means that God is sovereignly near. He has chosen to rule his world in such a way that he is involved in the details, specific details of your life so that at any moment you can reach out and touch him because he's not far from each one of us. You never are in a situation that isn't ruled by your king. You're never in a location that isn't ruled by him. You're never in a relationship that isn't ruled by him. And that means God is always near and always there for you to reach out and find the help that you need in those situations and locations and relationships. Praise him. He's near. He not only specifically reigns, he is not only near, that's not yet enough to say. The same writer, the Apostle Paul, at the end of Ephesians 1, a crescendo on this glorious passage of Scripture, says this of Jesus, that he rules over all things, check this out, for the sake of his body, the church. Not only does he reign, and not only does that reign make him near, that reign is purposely for your benefit. He reigns with you in mind. He reigns with your good in mind. He reigns with you in mind. Think about this. All of the promises of God are only as dependable as is His sovereignty, right? Because He can only make sure to deliver those promises in the places where He rules. And so the reason I can depend on Him, the reason I can trust his promises, the reason I can depend on His provision, the reason I can relax in a world I don't understand is because He rules. Now I want you to hear this. Recognizing that God reigns, that He's sovereign, won't make life make sense to you. It just won't. The reason to believe in the sovereignty of God is precisely because life won't make sense to you. You will never find your rest in understanding. Do you hear what I said? You'll never find rest in understanding because there will always be things you don't understand. There will always be mysteries in your life. God will always confuse you. You see, rest is only found in entrusting yourself to the person who is in control. Not trying to figure out the control. I used to have these conversations when my children were little. I think some of you have had similar conversations. They were at an age where I would have to say no to them about something, but I couldn't explain why because they wouldn't have understood it. And they'd be grumbling. 
I don't, I don't want my dad. My dad needs to snow to me. I wish I had another daddy. You know, all that <laughs> stuff that kids say. And so I would get down on my knees and I would look face to face with one of my children and I would say this. Is your daddy a mean, monstrous daddy? No, daddy's not mean, monstrous. Does your daddy just love to hurt you? No, daddy doesn't love to hurt me. Is your daddy a bad, bad daddy who wants you to do bad, bad things? No, daddy doesn't want me to do bad things. Does your daddy love you? Yeah, daddy loves me. So here's what you do. Walk down the hallway and say, I don't understand why my daddy said no to me, but my daddy loves me. My daddy's a good daddy. I'm going to trust my daddy. Again and again in your life, your heavenly father in condescending love kneels before you and says, does your daddy love you? Does your father love you? Then trust your father, even though you don't understand what he's brought into your life. That's believing God reigns. God's important. His reign is important. Notice the next words. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. God's glory is important. Now, again, I don't know if you've paid attention to this, but as a human being, you're hardwired for glory. You like glory. You have a, you have a glory orientation. That's why we like the triple overtime NBA game. We love it for its glory. That's why we like the seven-layer moose cake. We love it for its glory. That's why we like an exciting movie that, that keeps you on the edge of your seat till the end. We, we love it for its glory. That's why we like a stunning piece of music that sends a chill down your spine. We love it for its glory. Now, the, the animals aren't like that. No, the penguins don't score one another as they dive off the ice. You know, 9.5... Technical merit lacked artistic creativity. But we do that. We score one another. You know, at, in the bush country of South Africa, the wildebeest doesn't say to the giraffe, dude, where'd you get the stripes? Those stripes are awesome. I'd love to have stripes like that. Animals aren't like that, but we are. And that, that glory, that glory or orientation was given to you to draw your heart to God, who is the definition of all that's glorious. Now, here's what you need to understand. In life, in the world in which we live, there are only two kinds of glory. Ultimate glory, that's the glory of God. That's the one glory that only ever <coughs> has the possibility of satisfying your heart. And, get this, sign glory, S-I-G-N. Those are all the created, physical, possessions, locations, experiences, relationships of our everyday life. Now watch this. Those things are meant to be a sign that points us to the glory of God. Those things don't have the ability to satisfy our hearts. It's only the glory of God does. Hear this. 
The sign is not the thing. The sign points to the thing. And so the sign doesn't have the ability to do what the thing can do. And so when you attach yourself to the glory of a job, thinking if you get several promotions, this job can satisfy your heart, it will never happen. Because that's not ultimate glory, that's sign glory. All of creation is meant to be a sign. The heavens declare what? The glory of God. You may think if you finally get the love of that particular person, your heart will be satisfied because that is such a glorious thing. But it's sign glory. That person has no ability to satisfy your heart. It's like going to a restaurant and, and you have just an awesome meal and you walk out and you don't think you'll ever be hungry again. Isn't it amazing? Three hours later, you're in front of the refrigerator wanting a snack. Because that's sign stuff. Now, the fact of the matter is, all of life, this side of eternity, is a big glory war. It's a war for which of those two glories will rule your heart. Will your heart be ruled by sign glory in a way that you're always seeking and always hoping and always dreaming because the sign can't fulfill you? Or have you attached your soul to the one glory that only has the ability to satisfy your heart, the glory of God? You really see this just pictured very clearly in John 6. You know this passage. It's the uh, account of Christ feeding the 5,000. Remember that? A hungry crowd took a little boy's lunch and turned it into a meal for 5,000 people with leftovers. Pretty glorious. And afterwards, something very interesting happens. The crowd pursues Jesus to make him their king. You think, what an amazing moment. This is it. This is exactly what he came for. They, they get it. They want him to be their king. And Jesus does something weird. He runs and hides. Well, you think, why would you hide? These people want you to be their king. And then you are taken to the moment when the crowd finally catches up with Jesus. And they say, we don't understand why you hid from us. And Jesus essentially says this. You ate the bread, but you didn't see the sign. The only reason you're pursuing me is because you think I will be the provider of the world's best buffet. Don't you understand? That bread can never satisfy you. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread you need. You drink me, you'll never thirst again. You eat me, you'll never hunger again. I'm the bread. That was just a sign to point you to what you really need, me. See, they had it all wrong. They had it all wrong. And we too get glory confused. And attach ourselves to the sign. When the sign is not the thing. The sign points you to the thing. It's sort of like 
a father who says to his children, I'm gonna, we're going to go to Disney World for vacation. And he gathers the children around the computer and they go to that great Disney World website and they see all the awesome glories that are Disney World. Now he's piled them all in the car and they're, they're driving and there's scintillating excitement inside the cars. They're getting nearer to Disney World. And they get inside of Florida and they see that first sign that says Disney World, 120 miles. And the, the father stops, unpacks the car and has his vacation there. What kind of vacation do you think that's going to be? Brothers and sisters, I imagine in some way all of us did that somehow in the last couple of weeks. No wonder we hurt. No wonder we're disappointed. No wonder we're frustrated. No wonder we're unfulfilled. The sign points to the thing, but the sign is not the thing. Your heart will only be satisfied when it seeks the satisfaction in the glory of God. God's, God is important. His reign is important. His glory is important. The final words of this hymn was, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. His redemption is important. It was granted means it's a gift. What is this redemption about? It's about a God who is so kind, so faithful, so full of love and grace that He would not leave us and would not leave His world in the broken condition that it's in and that we're in. That there's one thing I can't do for myself. I, I have a dilemma that I can't solve. I have a disease that I can't heal myself from. It's my sin. And I can't earn my way into a better place. I can't deliver myself from this thing. So God harnessed the forces of nature and controlled the events of human history so that at a certain point in time, His Son would come, live the life we could not live, die the death we should have died, rose again, conquering death, so that we would receive forgiveness and acceptance and empowerment and deliverance and ultimately eternal life. The most important thing right now in your life is not who likes you. The most important thing in your life is not how many of your bills are being paid. The most important thing in your life is not your wardrobe or your cuisine. The most important thing in life is not whether you missed that program that you wanted to watch or whether your boss recognizes you. The most important thing operating in the universe in this moment is redemption. That there's hope for us. That the thing that is wrong with all of us is fixed in Christ Jesus. And I need to wake up in the morning. And I need to say, no, my marriage isn't all that it could be. And no, my health isn't always all that it could be. And no, my circumstances are confusing. And no, all my bills aren't paid. But I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Everything that's broken, everything I now suffer will be ultimately fixed. It's guaranteed I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. 
I'm redeemed. You see, redemption isn't always important to me. I wish it was. There are times I'd rather have a comfortable week than to be holy in the eyes of God. There are times when I'd rather win an argument than to have God transform me by His grace. There are times I'd rather be in control than to be forgiven. I don't always esteem redemption. God is important. His reign is important. His glory is important. His redemption is important. Maybe you're sitting this morning and you're thinking, Paul, I think I'm like you. I do get it wrong. There are many times when things in my life rise to levels of importance way beyond their true importance and I lose my way. I want you to hear what I'm going to say. The good news I have to share with you is because of this redemption. You don't have to wallow in shame. You don't have to hide in guilt. You don't have to run away in fear. In your brokenness, in your lostness, in your confusion, you can run with confidence once again into the presence of your Lord. And you can know Whatever you have to confess, it would be impossible for you to confess anything that hasn't already been covered by his blood. And you can stand without fear in front of this holy God and say, God, I get it wrong so much. I lose sight of what's important. I insert myself in the middle of my world. And I come to you once again and say, oh, Lord, please forgive me and empower me by your grace. So that I may remember once again what's important. I plead with you this morning. Don't run away from God. Run to Him. And find the mercy and grace once again that only He can offer. So that once again you may have your values clarified. And you may be freed to live in light of what is truly important. Let's pray. Lord, we, we do often get it wrong. We do lose our way. We do try to feed our souls on the sign when the sign is not the thing, the sign points to the thing. We forget you. We lose sight of or doubt your reign. We get glory confused. We forget the gorgeous joys of redemption. But this morning, Lord, we won't run from you. Because we know that all that we've discussed this morning has been covered by the blood of Jesus. We run to you. 
for your forgiveness, for your empowerment, for your deliverance. And we would say we are so thankful that you are our Father. And that means for us there is hope. In Jesus' name, amen.